We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This week on The Timeline... We solve the bench's problem. We talk John Wall, and we give you an arena update. Let's go! Welcome to The Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike Vigil. Sam Cooper, you just got back. From an NFL game not too long ago, on a scale of one to Charles Barkley, how drunk are you right now? Uh, I'm actually not, Mike. Uh, I was at a <laughs> where I am in Western New York. I was at a Buffalo Bills game. Just saw them take down the uh, Jaguars, and uh, being that it was they won, yeah, they won. Um, sorry to all you Cardinals fans out there, two and nine. The Bills aren't doing too hot either. They're four and seven this season. But um, uh, given that it was a long drive home, I'm I'm. Totally fine <laughs> at this point and ready to talk some Suns basketball. <laughs> Fortunately, that does mean I missed the Pistons game today. So you're going to have to fill me in on uh, what happened in, in that one. Yeah, I mean, the, the main story of the game was TJ was ejected for uh, a flop <laughs> by Blake Griffin. Um, pretty pretty hard to watch. And, and as soon as that happened, I mean, that's a lot of points lost. We, we talked about how what he's doing. I mean, he's averaging quite a bit of points now that he's starting and uh, taking those out of the entire second half. That hurts, especially because he was heating up at that time. So that's basically the whole story of the game. Uh, Blake Griffin was really good at the end. It was nice to see that starting lineup again uh, with Mikhail Bridges. So since since we last talked, so let's actually talk about it. Um, there was four games. There was a loss in Philadelphia, 114-119, and actually a really good game, I, I think. Um, there was a loss in Chicago, a very frustrating loss because that was winnable. A win in Milwaukee, surprise, 116-114, and a loss to the Pistons, 107-118, that just happened a few hours ago now that we're recording this. Um, when we recorded our preview last week, Sam, we called the one most winnable game, the <laughs> Chicago game, that was a loss, and we guaranteed that we were going to lose the Milwaukee game because Milwaukee was playing out of, out of their minds and exactly the opposite happened. They lost the Chicago game and they won in Milwaukee. So um, maybe we should predict more losses. I, <laughs> we we were way off, I would say, right? We're way yeah, off. Yeah, I think realistically, every time we've tried to predict these games in these season preview up uh, in these weekly preview episodes, I think we've been wrong more often than not. Um, but it was it was it's really, hard to predict this team. It really is hard to predict this team, and it was a really interesting week in terms of I think most Suns fans are are feeling so differently depending on the day you could sense this feeling of dread collective dread among the fan base after the chicago game because uh you're exactly right it was so frustrating to drop that game uh when it seemed so winnable and then to contrast that with the the game winner over milwaukee just a couple days later and everyone was feeling over the moon so this team is really hard to pin down right now uh there are some consistent problems and consistent successes that sort of show up uh game after game but 
there's not a lot of consistent talent coming through every night. So I, you know, I still feel like you never quite know what you're going to get with this team uh, when you flip the TV on and, and start watching a game. I think that we've they've found something with Point Book, and I feel vindicated, right? I've been on, and Sam, you know more than anyone. I've been on the Point Book uh, train since since it sort of left the station in in August. Yes, you have. <laughs> I just didn't see the the solution. Yeah, I have. I I didn't see a solution for the point guard. Uh, problem not having a point guard and I, you know how much I, I've disliked Isaiah Kanan it's difficult that there's not a great roster of guards so uh, since since the summer I just thought it was a good idea to put Booker in there because at this time he's our best passer and whether or not he's a really great passer that was sort of irrelevant he's our best passer so we have to use him uh, as a point guard and so far the story of these four games to me is clearly that that lineup is fantastic it's really great um, it, they did really well in the Philly game with that mm-hmm. lineup, they only lost by five, but mm-hmm. Philly's playing really well. That didn't, that one didn't hurt, I guess is a way to say it. No, they went away from it in Chicago. So it was actually kind of interesting. As we talked about in our preview last week, the one game that we talked about that, that would be a good game to use that lineup in was Philly because you need the length in that starting lineup. That's exactly what they said to justify it. And it was the reasoning and taking it away in that Chicago Chicago game. Isaiah Kanan started again, and, and it went badly right off the bat. They went back to it in the Milwaukee game, and they uh, won that game. And that lineup was the main reason they won that game, along with Jamal Crawford uh, putting some clutch time in at the end of the game there. And then they went back to it in the Pistons game, and, and the game was very close up until halftime. And as soon as TJ Warren was gone, that lineup was gone as well. It sort of It all works together with T.J. Warren is, is an integral part of it, especially on fast breaks and, and being able to create from himself in a pinch if we need it. So once he was gone, it was gone again. So if we found ev- anything in these last four games, it's that that lineup works and it needs to stick. Would you agree? Yes, but but I absolutely agree. Booker had a fantastic week, by the way, just to put numbers to, to what you were referencing. He averaged 31 and a half points. Six and a half assists on 50% shooting, uh, 30% shooting from the three-point line, 89% shooting um, from the free-throw line over these past four games. He's been great. The lineup looks great. People have thrown out those net rating numbers a million times. They look great. The, t- the two-sided street, though, is that when you know you force yourself to play Booker and Warren and Aiton together and, and Bridges along with them to, to get the benefits out of this great starting lineup, those guys can't play 48 minutes. And eventually they have to come off the floor and you're left with these bench lineups where none of them are playing. And you've seen what happens when that's the case. And, and we can talk about, you know, the, the sort of net ratings associated with those lineups with like Isaiah Kanan and Jamal Crawford as the main pieces. They're, they're terrible. Yeah, I think I actually challenged, I challenged people online to, to come up with a good bench lineup because it's really difficult. It's when you have Mikhail, uh, Ariza, TJ, uh, Booker and eight and all in the starting lineup. Those are our best players, and and to sort of stagger them is hard because the most effective thing. Let's actually let's a little bit. Let's talk about one reason I think this lineup works so well. It's the activity of Ariza and Mikael Bridges on defense because Devin Booker. He was really bad defensively this week. I, I think it should be said. And and yes. he was really good on offense, and he carried the team on offense. And obviously, overall, still a net positive for this team. But he fell asleep a lot, especially in that Chicago game. He just got lost. I mean, I, Shaq Harrison was taking it to him in that game. So you know it's not a great situation if Shaq Harrison's uh, taking it to you. So one of the reasons why that lineup actually works is because Bridges – and Ariza will make up for a lot of those mistakes by Devin Booker. They'll, they'll help. They'll switch. Um, I've seen Mikhail switch from a weak side entirely just to make up. They're just active. They're very active. And so to really maximize Devin Booker, he needs to play with at least Mikhail Bridges, and I would say DeAndre Ayton as well because that provides a lot of spacing and a lot of a lot of room for Booker to hit that sort of mid-range pull-up or that really close, it's like a 10-foot pull-up that he's been hitting a lot in these last few games, and it's because the big can't leave Aiton on that because it just, it turns into a lob. So to really maximize that starting lineup, those guys all have to play together, and that's what makes it really difficult to come up with a bench lineup because you could say, oh, we'll play Aiton with the bench. Well, no, he needs help too. Um, Ariza and Mikhail help him there as well as far as being the sort of second line of defense so that uh, Aiton could be the third line of defense. Um, so... 
it's really difficult to come up with a bench lineup. Uh, so we wanted to try try to tackle that question as well. I challenged the internet, so I figured we challenge ourselves uh, as well to see if we can come up with a lineup that can help fix that, or at least some sort of rotation. Uh, what do you think? Do you have some ideas? Yeah, well, so I already started alluding to it. The um, Isaiah Kanan and, and Jamal Crawford have shared the floor in 13 games together so far for a total of 61 minutes. The Suns have a minus 34 net rating when those two share the floor so the first thing we have to talk about no more of that you can't have any more lineups <laughs> where these two guys share the floor you, igor you can keep your nine-man rotations we can figure something out um kanan i i'm not i mean i think he's had four straight games he had a great 19 point performance like two weeks ago since then i don't think he's had really done anything in, in several games straight he's had several straight games of playing around 20 or more minutes and finishing with maybe fewer than five points uh it basically if he's not hitting his three-point shots he's not contributing anything so what i propose um you can you can continue to experiment first of all between elia kobo and d'anthony melton to see which one is capable of giving you more but but for the sake of this lineup i'm saying let's start with d'anthony melton at point guard um along with jamal crawford at shooting guard josh jackson at small forward TJ Warren at power forward and uh, Rashawn Holmes at center. And that should sort of be the main bench lineup, the main second unit that is featured. Th what I mean by that is not that TJ Warren uh, no longer starts. TJ Warren still starts a power forward, but this is if you have a nine man rotation, you need to have one of the members of the starting lineup appearing in that um, primary second unit. And so basically, as unfortunate as it is, to still sort of uh, move TJ Warren into the second unit lineups. I think you can have TJ stay with uh, Booker and Aiton and Bridges and Ariza in the first eight or so minutes of the game and in the last eight or so minutes of the game. But in the second and third quarters in between, you just need to stagger it in a way where Jamal Crawford isn't enough. Yes, he can create some of his own offense. Yes, he had the game-winning shot. Obviously, he got to play the hero role against Milwaukee. But I think the Suns really need another player uh, in that lineup who can create their own offense and TJ Warren is that guy so for better or worse he doesn't necessarily have the privilege of getting to play uh, on the floor at the same time as Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton quite as often I would still put him in the starting lineup but I would have him sort of as the primary offensive option of this second unit then the other main difference obviously is you replace Isaiah Kanan with DeAnthony Melton for defensive purposes DeAnthony Melton at least hopefully the intention would be that he can be a dog on defense. He can call out uh, opposing team sets and, and really remain active on the perimeter in a way that Jamal Crawford can't. And in a way where when you pair Isaiah Kanan and Jamal Crawford together on defense, it's, it's just a disaster. So um, that's, that's basically what I propose. I don't think here's the thing though. I don't think there's any perfect fix for this bench. You just need more good players because this team doesn't have a lot of depth right now. And I think the way you maximize this starting lineup we have is to play as many minutes of Booker, Warren, and Aiton together. Obviously, what I'm proposing, you can no longer do that. So the only real long-term solution is to add more talent. Absolutely. Now, I like that for a couple reasons. First off, no Isaiah Kanan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to reiterate, Isaiah Kanan now is getting zero minutes. That's the, I think that's the first thing. So, And I also like that it's a nine-man rotation. I think an eight-man is a little too short for this team. You kind of have to have a, a nine-man rotation. So I have a very similar lineup. Now, here's the one thing I was thinking. I think that if we have a bench lineup that is full of not great players, let's just say that. There's just not a lot of... Well, first off, there's no offensive efficiency off of our bench except for Rashawn Holmes, and he's just a dunker, so that's why... Um, and, you know, there's just no real efficiency. We have Jackson coming off the bench. We know how inefficient he is. Crawford, we've talked about it. Although he's been relatively efficient on the Suns, uh, he's going to regress at some point. Like It likely sort of regress. And and Melton, it remains to be seen. But Melton, Crawford, Jackson, Ariza, and Holmes is my suggestion as the main bench unit. And the reason is is because when you have a, a guy, a bunch of guys that aren't great, the best thing that you can do is give them an identity that they can all sort of get behind. And if you put this lineup out on the floor and say, this is our defensive lineup, your job is to go out there and stop them on every possession. Play ultra aggressive. Melton, run up and down the floor uh, 90 feet, guard 90 feet. 
Jackson, Ariza, and Holmes will be that back line of the defense. Those guys can actually handle um, switches and really protecting the rim with Holmes. He's been a great rim protector so far. Lots of activity. Jackson sort of needs that. I think he needs to refocus. His identity needs to be defensive because he's not been great offensively so far this season. So I think if you if you put these guys together and you make Ariza sort of the captain of the defense on this team, this is why I put Ariza in there instead of TJ Warren, then you can have that defense lineup and then play as fast as possible on offense. You have Melton Jackson and then Ariza can run to the three-point line and we've seen Rashawn Holmes. He runs the floor offensively. So it play as fast as possible there and then if it runs out and, and, uh, and they defend well, they have a good transition defense, then you have Crawford to handle the ball, especially in a pinch when you need someone to just create and shoot. We've seen Crawford has the ability to do that. He's been doing that for years and years and years. And like you said, Nothing's perfect. Nothing's perfect. But what I like about this idea is that you can really give them an identity to sort of bond over and and everyone can kind of focus uh, defensively. It's not a perfect solution, but uh, putting these guys on the floor together, I think I think that would be a start. I mean, obviously, Isaiah Kanan is, is a big problem. He's actually shot, I think he shot 20% on this road trip. Uh, so <laughs> he's not doing great. And if he's not providing anything offensively, he's really bad defensively. Absolutely. We have to take him out of there. Yeah, here, here's the thing. I, I agree with you uh, in terms of it would be nice to have a lineup with a focused defensive identity, but what do you think that looks like offensively? It looks like Jamal Crawford creating for himself in a pinch. And I mean, are you re- first of all, can we motivate Trevor Reza to run to the three-point line in this lineup? Because <laughs> he, here's the only thing that worries me. So DeAnthony Melton, great for defensive uh, intensity. Not a playmaker that we've seen so far. Not really a guy who can initiate the offense. You're sort of entrusting that all to Jamal Crawford. Uh, I, I worry about a lineup where you're subbing out TJ Warren for Trevor Reese, and I think that would be great defensively. But Trevor Reese isn't creating for himself, or Sean Holmes isn't creating for himself. Melton isn't creating for anyone else. I worry a little bit about a lineup that is going to have Jamal Crawford as its primary playmaker and Josh Jackson as its secondary playmaker. Uh, just in terms of in terms of the offensive rating at the end of the day, and how is that team going to create um, buckets? I think the main focus would be to try to turn the ball over. And I, I, if you have a defensive <laughs> focus, then you can. I know, but you if you have a defensive focus, then you can get out on the run. You can play fast and 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 playing with speed. We saw it in the Philly game, and we saw it in the Chicago game from the bench. Playing with speed coming off the bench that helps because it motivates guys when 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 they can actually get stops. Uh, it motivates them to run. And if you have Jackson running, Jackson would be a big part of the fast break. Uh, and Melton, of course, of the fast break part of this offense with uh, Ariza and Crawford trailing. Um, it would not be great <laughs> offensively. And I think the focus in this sort of lineup for me would be keeping Booker, Bridges, and Ayton together. And that mm-hmm. means cycling Ariza and TJ Warren out into this lineup because TJ Warren would be great as far as fast break. He's probably the best on our team mm-hmm. uh, on the break. Um, so filtering him into the lineup would help a lot. And, and yeah, I, I, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. But I think taking Isaiah Kanan out, just having a defensive focus would change because you can't do that with Kanan on the floor. And obviously teams would still attack Crawford. But I think if you have Jackson, Melton, and Ariza helping Crawford out the same way uh, – bridges and ariza do for booker um that would help a lot yeah it's it's definitely interesting and regardless of which lineup uh theoretically we would go with yours or mine josh jackson is gonna have to play a big role so i think it is worth noting josh jackson has um looked better over the past week or so he hasn't looked great i'm not i'm not willing to say yet that he's looked great but over his last six games i pulled up the stats he's averaging uh just a tad over eight points, three rebounds, a little bit over one steal in about 17 minutes a game. He's only shooting 41% from the field. You really want him to get that up, but he is shooting 45% from three and 73% from the free throw line. And he has had a few games um, over the past couple of weeks where it's, it's been a reason that the Suns are, uh, if they're losing, they're at least keeping it closer and not getting blown out because Josh Jackson looks a lot more focused uh, when he when he steps onto the court. It's something that I've, I've noticed. I don't know if you... Uh, have the same opinion of his recent play or not. I, he was huge in that Bucks game. So the thing with Josh Jackson, I think, that I've noticed is he's played more under control, and I feel like we've had this conversation <laughs> a million times. He needs yeah. to play under control. But part of playing under control is just shooting less. 
and that's something he's done. He doesn't he doesn't constantly shoot it just because he's wide open. He finds ways to sort of attack the space that being wide open gives. And I think that's an important part of his game is is sort of just instead of just seeding that space and shooting a long shot, using it against them, use the momentum of the defense against them. And I think he that's what it is. I think a lot of what it is for the last few games. So um, we did it. We solved the bench issues. <laughs> I wouldn't say that yet. No more. Here, look, if you play either of these lineups, no more minus 34 net rating with Hayden and Crawford. I think it's going to be a little bit better than that. But again, one more time at the end of the day, James Jones has got to be working the phones. He's got to be thinking of uh, practical solutions to make this team better if he wants any chance of turning this season around. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Say we do trade for a point guard. Uh, you know, say it's just sort of uh, Terry Rozier or that sort of level of point guard. Is that good enough to come to go away from this point book lineup? Is that really good enough for that? Because it's been really good and it seems to solve. Because part of the problem with Devin Booker is when he's that bad defensively, you have to have guys that make up for it. It's the sort of James Harden thing. You surround him like Houston has really solved that for James Harden. Uh, and 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 if if you don't do that. Uh, it makes it hard if he's giving up as much points as he's sort of giving to the team. Uh, and this solves a lot of those issues. It has guys that can sort of make up for those mistakes for Booker. So would that even be worth it? That's that's a weird part of this conversation. I, I, I'm not sure that we should really be panicking at this point. We should probably, in my opinion, we should probably just stick with this lineup for a while and see see what it gets us. Well, worth it. I think, you know, those trades still make the team better. Uh, so I think worth it, probably yes. Is it enough that you... Terry Rozier, I don't think, is a good enough point guard that I would want to insert him into the starting lineup. But here's the other thing. We always criticize Ryan McDonough for for failing to take into uh, account the human element of basketball, taking into account his players' feelings. And uh, we still haven't gotten any real indication of if Devin Booker wants to be a point guard long-term um, or if he's just doing it for now, but he's, he's going to run out of patience pretty quickly. So... You need to keep that in mind if you're James Jones. You need to be having a conversation with Devin Booker about what he feels his long-term role is, if he's even willing to make that uh, transition like James Harden did for Houston. Uh, and if the answer is no, then you bring in, you know, then you have to start panicking, unfortunately, and, and working on uh, bringing in a point guard. But if the answer is yes, and he is comfortable playing point guard, then no. I think this lineup uh, has been great, and you don't need to make any panic trades to interfere with it right now. so much to that caller i am very happy for that call because although we've mentioned john wall a little bit in the last uh, few podcasts we haven't really broke down how we feel about the idea of trading for john wall also thank you to that caller for being the first uh, woman's voice that's ever appeared on this podcast um hopefully that can encourage some other of our female listeners to give us a call so all right so a little bit about john wall Let's talk about who he is first. He's a 28-year-old. He's in his ninth season. He's had multiple knee injuries, multiple knee surgeries too, I believe. He's currently averaging 21 points, 8 assists, 2 steals. He's averaged over 10 assists on three separate occasions, three separate seasons. Not a great three-point shooter. Incredibly fast, especially in transition, uh, which actually has resulted in creating the most open corner threes in the NBA over the last few seasons. So his ability to attack gets guys open on the perimeter. So that's an important thing with John Wall. Uh, he's currently averaging, I don't know if you knew this, Sam, currently averaging the second best true shooting percentage of his career at 52.8%. So not a super great true shooting percentage. Yeah. But uh, being, I was actually surprised. I felt like his efficiency was going down. But in reality, he's just not super efficient over the course of his career. Um, the big part, of the John Wall conversation is his contract, which next year 
a four-year, $169 million extension kicks in. $37.8 million first year, $40.8 second year, $43.8 third year. And in that fourth year, $46.8 million, which is a player option that he will 100% accept because that is a massive amount of money that uh, he'll be 32 years old in that year. So there's no way he turns that down. Um, what makes this conversation interesting? A great player, I think, regardless of that efficiency dip, a great player, because I think overall he makes a team more efficient if he's playing at his best. But that contract is massive. And then this season, just in the last, let's say, since July, he showed up out of shape to the Team USA camp and took a hilarious photo <laughs> of him looking like he's asking for uh, to bum a cigarette, I believe was a comment that I saw. Um, <laughs> when he was asked after this photo was released, when he was asked if he partied too much, he said he's a grown man and he can do whatever he wants, <laughs> which I actually kind of liked. Although when he's on your team, it's, it feels a little different, right? Maybe he does party too much. He looked kind of fat, I will say, coming, coming into that camp. Um, also... This season, it was announced that the Wiz, the Wizards were hearing offers for him, so considering trading him. And that next day, it was also announced that he said F you to his coach at practice in a sort of Jimmy Butler-esque scorched earth practice where he was yelling at everybody, calling out the coach. Um, in that same practice, Bradley Beal, who is a very similar player to Devin Booker, said, I've been dealing with this shit for seven years about John Wall. And in that same day, this was November 20th, an, anom- uh, an anonymous player, why wow, I sound like Trump there, an anonymous player <laughs> told Stephen A. Smith that Scott Brooks can't control John Wall. So it, it's very difficult to coach John Wall. So the conversation sort of starts with, he's a great player, probably would be the best point guard that we've had on the team since Steve Nash. I'm not super efficient, massive contract and potential issues, either not staying in shape in the off season or not getting along with, his teammates. That's why this is an interesting conversation. Here's the thing. I will say I've kind of been sort of convincing myself that maybe this wouldn't be so bad. And I'll explain why in a minute. But first, I want to hear, Sam, what do you think about the idea of trading for John Wall? Uh, It's all about his trade value. Uh, Let's be upfront and recognize that players of this caliber, multiple time all-stars do not just show up on the trade market often uh, and and then get talked about as if they're garbage, <laughs> like John Wall is currently being talked about. Um, I, and mm-hmm. and if they do, there are all of these situations. I think Suns fans have gotten wrapped up over the past several years in sort of being perfectionists a little bit and looking for a star who comes with no injury history, who's the right age, who's got a good contract situation with multiple years left on their deal. And the reality is that those guys just don't show up on the trade market. And the guys who do show up on the trade market who are really good players that are uh, like 26 or 27 uh, with no injury history and and just a good all-around situation, oftentimes they only have one year left on their deal. It's what we were talking about with Kyrie Irving. It's what we were talking about with Jimmy Butler. And ultimately, those were the reasons that the Suns didn't trade for those guys because it was assumed that they wouldn't re-sign. Here is a guy who, you know, it's a tough contract. It's a tough pill to swallow. And it would it would cap you out for the next several years. You'd essentially be locked into a core that features John Wall and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. On the other hand, at least you've got a guy locked down for a few years. He wouldn't be able to escape and go anywhere else. And you maybe wouldn't even have to give up any huge assets for him right now. So I think you at least have to take this conversation very seriously. Um, I see a lot of Suns fans talking about this as if it would be some sort of disaster that tanks the franchise. I really don't see how that would be the case. Um, that, that's not to say I'm John Wall's hugest fan. I'm, I'm really not, but I think overall this trade probably would lead the team in a positive direction, depending on who they send out to get him. in a vacuum. I don't think it's a good idea to trade for John Wall just because in his history is, uh, inefficient, potentially injury prone and does not get along with players, including a very good player in Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal is very good, and the reports about their relationship over the last few years is that they hate each other. They just hate each other. And the idea of training for a guy like that in this Suns organization is a scary thought. It's a very scary thought. But I keep coming back to the same thing, and it's the same conversation we had when Jimmy Butler was on the trade market. If not now, when? Yeah. 
when does this happen? When do we actually make a move for a potential star? And since the Suns have been sort of in the market for a star, Kyrie Irving was traded, Kawhi Leonard was traded, and Jimmy Butler was traded. Paul George was traded. Paul George was traded. Is there any of those three guys that wouldn't make this team sort of infinitely better than they are right now? Wouldn't all three of those guys really, all four of those guys really make this team look a lot better? Now, I'm not saying that each of those scenarios, there was like a perfect opportunity to trade for them. But when we look at the Suns, who was our best free agency acquisition sort of in the in the last five, six years? A one-year Trevor Ariza deal for $15 million, a guy who's 32 years old? Four years. We're not Tyson getting a star. Yeah, four years of Tyson Chandler, another good option. Defensive player of the year, yeah. Tyson Who was Chandler. Also 32 years old when he signed that contract, I believe, or maybe he was 34. But either way, yeah. the point is, we're not getting a star that way. And the idea of having no. a potential star in John Wall locked in for four years is an interesting one because you think about that contract, but if you kind of put that contact that contract in the context of you're paying an extra tax because you're Phoenix, and that's the only way to get a star in Phoenix then it, it feels a little different. Now, of course, not a perfect scenario and, and probably a scenario that sort of the job of a general manager rests on whether or not it works. If John Wall immediately goes out with a knee injury, that GM's probably getting fired and, and there's a new GM making the moves that next season. So not a perfect scenario, but it is kind of an interesting one. So, so to me, the question then becomes, do you believe that John Wall is a star or not? And that's where I start to get a little, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm actually not really sure. I think he's really good and he would be really good on this team if he was consistent and if he, if I believed that he could play sort of at least 70 games a season uh, over the next four years. But I guess that question I should ask to you, Sam, do you believe that in John Wall in his current form is a star? Uh, well, it depends all on whether or not he's willing to buy into the system. Yes, he is a star. Uh, let's be clear about that. I mean, he's he's a five-time all-star. But what's your ceiling with John Wall when there are so many other more talented players still in the Western Conference? Uh, I mean, the Western Conference is still going to have it's James Harden's and Kevin Durant, Steph Curry's, Russell Westbrook's, uh, all of those, LeBron James, of course, all of those players. So John Wall is a star, uh, but... The question of if John Wall three years from now, the Suns acquire John Wall and he is still the best player out of him, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, then that's a problem because that's probably not a core that can take you over the rest of the teams in the Western Conference and potentially push for Western Conference finals run or even an NBA finals run. If Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, you trust one of those guys to eclipse John Wall in terms of talent and you can safely say that John Wall is your number two or your number three and not your go-to guy, then maybe you have a chance uh, in as strong a conference as this is. What's made this conversation interesting to me more than anything else is that the sort of the belief is now that the John Wall contract is a negative asset. And if the John Wall contract is a negative asset and it's really difficult to trade John Wall, then the potential is not only can you potentially trade for John Wall, you might be able to get him on sort of 20 cents on the dollar uh, so the conversation to me is, what can we give up to get that done at this point? Now, Sam, you and I were talking before we started recording on potential ideas for a trade. You had an interesting uh, a strategy as far as what the Suns should offer. And who knows whether or not the Wizards would take this. It's clear if they're trading him, they're probably just straight up tanking. Um, but it's going to be, I doubt they're going to get a high first round pick for John Wall. Uh, they won't. They won't if, if the, tr- the team taking there was There was a report. And I don't remember exactly who it was from, but there was a report that's from supposedly a rival executive that said if they can get anything for John Wall and they don't take it, then they're idiots. Because, you know, the idea being that they can't get anything for him at all. So, I mean, if the Suns are in a situation where you can literally offer a guy like Ryan Anderson to to match the salaries and then throw in Elliot Kobo and a first round pick their way, we're talking about a five time all star here. Uh, and and. The other motivating factor for this is, first of all, you're getting him 20 cents on the dollar if you make a trade like that. Second of all, let's just quickly talk about what the Suns' other options are to fill their point guard role. The Suns are going to have a high draft pick in this upcoming draft. As far as we know, at this point, there are no future superstar point guards in this draft class. So you have to look at free agency, where your options are either to pay a 32-year-old Goran Dragic 
20, 25 million dollars to pay a guy like Ricky Rubio, who's simply not as good, 20 or 25 million dollars to overpay on a risky role player like Terry Rozier, or to pay a guy like Kemba Walker, who's of the same caliber as John Wall, a 35 to 40 million dollar contract, in which case you're talking about the same exact thing. So coming back to the idea of having the opportunity to trade for John Wall 20 cents on the dollar, I just don't see why you wouldn't consider doing that. Now, if they ask for Josh Jackson and Mikhail Bridges and three first round picks, or obviously, you know, if they ask for TJ Warren and, and a bunch of other appealing stuff, then you can put your foot down and say no. But if you really have an opportunity to steal this guy away, I just think you'd be stupid to not at least uh, entertain that prospect. So it sounds like you're saying, and this is how I feel. And, and let me see if it's how you feel as well. We're keeping Booker, obviously, Aiton. Those guys aren't being moved. But if we can keep Booker, Aiton, TJ, McHale, then you're willing to sort of make a move. Is is that is that the case? Like, everyone else is sort of... And I doubt they would... Maybe maybe they'd want Ariza, assuming they could... Um, you know, it's an expiring contract. I'd feel bad for Ariza, but they could buy him out as soon as he gets there, really, if, if they just want cap space. Um I'd like to keep Ariza too because I'd like to see this team with John Wall and a bunch of guys who can catch and shoot threes. John Wall getting penetration. It's just kind of a fun idea. Um, but is that is that how you feel, basically? Yeah, uh, basically. And then, again, we get we arrive to the point where if you trade for him, you're capped out. Now you need to get really smart with your cap management and sign a bunch of guys uh, using the mid-level exception and, and other sort of deals where you can poach these interesting free agent options to really fill your bench because you're not going to have much of a bench if you're paying Devin Booker and John Wall $75 million combined. You're just not. I can't believe we talked ourselves into this. <laughs> yeah, well, but here's the thing. So again, I, I feel like I should uh, go back and, and maybe make sure that people understand that I'm not super into this idea. It's just, look, if we if Damian Lillard could fall into our lap, if some like, you know, great point guard who's like 26, 27 with a good who's worth his contract, unlike John Wall, who's very arguably not worth his contract, could just fall into our lap. That would be fantastic. But but here's the honest truth. If, if First of all, Damian Lillard's on a good team. I just threw his name out because he was the first point guard that came to mind as like a borderline superstar point guard, maybe a little bit better than John Wall. If he actually hit the trade market. Suddenly, that's a competitive trade market. It's not like the Suns would just be able to automatically get him. The Suns are then competing with 20 other teams that want this guy and aren't necessarily going to be able to give up the best trade package. So even if that perfect player shows up where finally Suns fans who have been perfectionists over the past five years, he's got the perfect situation. Here's a guy we can get behind. Let's go after this guy. Well, that means every other team is also going after that guy. It's the same concept with like you know, if Anthony, if Anthony Davis hit the trade market, yeah, of course, finally, the Suns fans would be interested in getting him. Doesn't mean you're going to because now everyone else wants him. So it's just it, it comes back to what you were saying at the beginning of this conversation, Mike, which is if not now, then when? Exactly. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you guys an update on where the Suns are at as far as the arena situation. And then we'll preview next week's games. We'll be right back. on this because it's a really interesting situation that the arena that the Suns are in right now with this arena um, so Sam I, I know you probably read the article about this but I'm just going to recap it a little bit for our listeners and then we'll talk a little bit about it the Phoenix Suns are putting pressure on the Phoenix City Council to approve approve 150 million dollars of renovations for talking stick resort arena before the end of the year there's a few reasons they're pushing for this deal right now with not much time to get it done Um, the first one is a renovation is not a full build so they're not building a full new arena and therefore does not need voter approval in order to be completed if a new building were to be built voters would have to vote you have to actually put it on the ballot renovating the building would allow the team to keep the arena in the newly revitalized downtown Phoenix. If a new building were to be built, there's all kinds of stories about it being in a few other places, including the East Valley, which is kind of far away from the center of the city. Um, So that puts a lot of pressure on Phoenix City Council to keep it in Phoenix if it were built in the East Valley. That could be Tempe, Chandler, Mesa, lots of other places. So lots of pressure on Phoenix there. 
another reason is that the Phoenix mayor elect, so the mayor that will be sworn in in January, has stated, well, I intend to be a partner with the Suns on the many great things they do for the city. It is not in Phoenix's best interest to invest in an arena, implying that she does not support either a new arena or the renovation. So that means that the mayor that will be uh, in the office in January will do everything in her power to stop that from happening. So that's why they want to get it done in December before January comes. Right now, what's interesting in Phoenix, there are two competing political tactics at play. Um, The first is from the opposition of the arena. They're saying, how can we afford to pay for an arena when we can't afford to pay teachers, police officers, or fill potholes. Um, And the other side of that argument, which is essentially Robert Sarver, he's using somewhat of a manipulative or dirty tactic of saying through back channels that if the Suns don't at least renovate their arena, the team could be moved. Is that real? Uh, That's difficult to say. It could be a scare tactic to put pressure on the city to not uh, be the city council that loses the Suns. They don't want to be known as that. Or it could be a scare tactic to to make sure that voters are properly scared and encourage them to vote if they don't pass a renovation deal and need to actually vote on it. Uh, but on the other side of that, it's actually happened before. Seattle did lose their team. And the Suns do play in one of the oldest arenas in the NBA, especially if you include arenas that haven't been renovated at all. It might be the oldest. And I can say, as someone that's been to a few different arenas, it needs improvement. It definitely does need improvement. The Suns' lease for this building is up in 2022, an important year, because the implication is, if it's not solved by then, Seattle is looming. They're looming. They're building a new arena. They're, They're going to want this team if nothing's solved by 2022. So here's where we're at, just to recap. The team is putting a ton of pressure on the local government to secure a renovation deal before the end of the year, and if they do not, the new mayor will not support either a new arena or a different renovation deal, because that would be the idea. Maybe they'd revamp it and try again. And that would likely mean that voters would have to vote on this. And one of those two options makes it a lot more likely for the team to move down from downtown Phoenix if voters don't approve a new arena or, or do approve a new arena or leave Phoenix entirely if no deal can be struck at all. So it's a lot of weird news or bad news potentially in this, but the good news as far as the situation goes is that it will be a lot clearer by the end of this year. So within the next month, we will know what's possible. So I know this kind of delves into some politics or some political conversations here, which I kind of want to stay away from, as you can imagine, Sam. But knowing all this information, it's a little scary where we are right now. But how do you feel about this sort of where we're at as far as the arena deal? Uh, Well, we've heard news of, look, uh, first of all, I'm not an Arizona native. That's important to note. So when I talk about Talking Stick Resort Arena, I only I'm talking about what I've heard which is that, as you said, it's one of the oldest arenas in the NBA, that it needs renovation. Uh, Like you said, this really gets into more of a political sort of situation of uh, do you personally believe uh, teams should make the investment to fund their own renovations and and the building of new stadiums, or should the taxpayers foot that bill? I don't really want to get into that conversation. I imagine you don't either. Um, But this is definitely going to be an interesting situation to track i don't think it's anything to worry about yet necessarily as you said the uh seattle lost their team um but if the suns have anything going for them despite the past 10 years or so of incompetence it is that they are one of the most storied and historic franchises um in the nba one of the only franchises old enough to be older than 50 years uh at this point and i think it would take quite a lot to actually move this team out of the city of phoenix yeah, so if you're listening, if you're local here in Phoenix, if you want to get involved on either side of that, I, I support you regardless because, you know, I understand the idea that a billionaire owner should pay for their own renovations. And I also understand the other side of that of uh, they, they sort of, this the team provides a lot to the city and maybe the city should be invested in the team as well. An interesting conversation, a little scary, and I wanted to set the stakes now so that we knew uh, when the news comes out later, we'll know how it affects us and, and what the next step is. So hopefully that clarifies it a little bit for those who are interested. Uh, and we'll hear more soon. We'll hear more. So let's preview 
we got some games coming up. So we were right about us going one uh, and three <laughs> in our first road trip. So that, that, that big road trip is sort of back. We were just wrong about all the games. Um, so let's make some more predictions, I guess. <laughs> let's be wrong again. Let's get yeah, let's into be it. Wrong. Hey, we were right <laughs> in one aspect. Um, the Suns are coming back home. Uh, the first game back home after this road trip is Tuesday against the Pacers. And the Pacers have been pretty good so far this year. Obviously, Oladipo has been playing really well. I went to the game the last time the Pacers were in town. And Oladipo is amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Not only is he an incredibly gifted offensive player, he can also lock down whoever he wants, whenever he wants. And I saw it in person. He absolutely locked down Devin Booker. So this is going to be a tough game. How, how do you feel about this Pacers game? This is going to be a really, this would be a really good game to do what we were talking about earlier, boot out Isaiah Kanan and debut the new bench. Because uh, one of the themes of this week, not only with the Pacers, but with some of the other teams we're playing as well, have great depth. And starting with the Pacers, they've got a bench of Corey Joseph, DeMontis Sabonis, um, Tyreek Evans, and Doug McDermott. That's just really, really strong. And Sabonis in particular has been fantastic and and probably the early candidate for six man of the year as as hard as that is to do uh for a big man usually the voters give that type of award to you know one of those lou williams jamal crawford type guards but sabonis right now is averaging 15 points 10 rebounds and three assists off the bench on 69 percent shooting from the field he leads the league in true shooting percentage um as you wow. said victor oladipo is fantastic uh he is and and i think he's going to do a very good job of potentially locking down devin booker um for as long as he guards him. Um, But I don't think the story with the Pacers is with their starting lineup as much as it is with their bench and where if the Suns are throwing out the same lineups uh, in their second unit that they have been, Sabonis is going to score 25 points off the bench. Tyreek Evans is going to have a big night. Corey Joseph is going to hit open threes. And that's where the Pacers are going to kill you and ultimately win this game. It's not necessarily going to be coming from Victor Oladipo. It's just that this team has so much uh, depth in a way that the Suns really can't match unless all of their players have a, have a strong night. Yeah, my two predictions for this game will be Sabonis is going to kill us and Boyan Bogdanovich is going to be open a lot. Yeah. <laughs> because I have yeah. a feeling we're going to try and hide we're going to try and hide Booker on Boyan and, and and that means that he's probably going to have a huge game as well. So those are my main two predictions for this game. The next game is a back-to-back. So this team it's going to they're going to play on Tuesday. And then immediately go to L.A. for a game against the Clippers on Wednesday. So this will be the first time we play the Clippers so far this season. Sam, you had a lot to say about the Clippers before the season started. Do You got a lot of (laughs) opinions on them. And you were right. You were definitely right. The Clippers are really, really good. It's not often that I get to say I'm right. So this this time I'll um, say, look, things could have very easily gone south, I think, for the Clippers this season, too. Um, Because anytime you have a team that's just kind of patched together with a bunch of role players that, uh, at least on paper, play off each other's strengths, but no real star to tie it all together, that's scary. The Suns have featured plenty of teams like that before. You could argue, you know, I don't know, like the Suns 2012-13 team was just a bunch of role players thrown together with no one to actually take control uh, of the game, and they were terrible. But for the Clippers, it's working. They have a really strong foundation of role players, and again depth is going to kill the suns it's that's the theme this week if i had to pick out anyone um with both the pacers and the clippers because this team has a good starting lineup they're starting shea gilgis alexander the rookie now he looks great by the way um uh but beyond that you know montrez harrell is doing phenomenally off the bench uh lou williams obviously you have to worry about off the bench uh this team is just filled with depth and could potentially hurt the suns in that area once again where the suns have a problem of not having enough good players the clippers have the exact opposite where they don't play anyone that's bad basically everyone in their lineup is good they have no players that that are sort of a negative while they're on the court uh it's it will be really interesting to see deandre ayton against the monster that is boban marjanovic i mean that'll be the biggest i mean he's the biggest guy in the nba so that'll be the biggest player that ayton's playing against uh i'd like to see if he's going to start uh, the game by maybe trying to pull him out of the paint a little bit and shooting some jump shots uh, but that game, that's going to be a tough game. That's just tough. When, like, Just like you talked about, we, we talked about it to start this podcast. Our bench is killing us. Uh, the starting lineup's working. And teams like the Clippers, 
they're they're the types of teams that are they're really going to kill us in, in a scenario like this because nobody's nobody's bad. My worry with both of these first two games this week isn't that the starting lineup won't be able to stick with them. Maybe the starting lineup will stick with them and the Suns will have a 10-point lead or like, you know, a 6 or 7-point lead at the end of the first quarter. Uh but then you start the first 6 minutes of the second quarter and immediately tanks and and either the Pacers or the Clippers take it right back. Um, another interesting thing with the Clippers, by the way, I think we've talked about it before, but Milos Teodosic isn't really playing minutes there. He's a competent point guard. He started 36 games last season, and he's only played a total of nine minutes in their past like seven games. Um, so he's he's really not getting any playing time. I don't yeah. know what his value would be. I don't even know how much better he would make the Suns at this point. Um, maybe that's just my desperation for a point guard. He actually said he's going to go back to Europe. He said he's done. He's done in the NBA, and he he even uh, presented the possibility of leaving before the end of this season. So he might not even make it uh, till the end of the season in the NBA, and that's unfortunate. But watching him play, it actually kind of makes sense. He's he just waited too long to to start playing in the NBA. Uh, you know, he, he he's just not great anymore. So I feel for him, and he was really fun to watch in Euroleague, and he still has some really highlight passes and and he actually I still think he would make the Suns better but I don't think he I don't think he wants it I think he wants to go back to where he's a hero and I don't blame him I don't blame him he was one of the best players coming out of there now where the Pacers are fifth in the east currently the Magic who we play on Friday at home Hmm. are sixth they're sixth can you believe this they're 10 and 10 uh, Orlando Magic have been playing better than I think better than I expected them to play. Uh, do you think that's just the magic of the Eastern Conference uh, playing there? You can get some easy wins more often than the West, or do you think that this is a, a potentially playoff team in the East? Yeah, it's potentially a playoff team in the East for sure. Now, as of yesterday, this is before they got their tenth win, um, but they were twenty fourth in the league in offensive rating, seventeenth in defensive rating. So I do point out that. You know, sometimes point differentials are wonky, and just because you have a 500 um, record, that those stats there, the the offensive and defensive rating stats, imply that they're still a below average team. Doesn't mean they don't have a lot of potential with with some of the players they're throwing out. Um, and they've got, I mean, look, they're being led in a lot of ways right now by Nikola Vucevic, um, by Vucimane, who honestly, if there's any if there's any parallel to draw there, he is having a TJ Warren esque season. They play different positions. But he's shooting 61% true shooting right now. He's never had a season before where he had a true shooting above 54%. That exactly mirrors the situation we're talking about uh, right now with TJ Warren. Vucevic is a guy who's averaging 23 and uh, 13 for 36 minutes. He's cutting out those mid-range shots that he was so good at for years and years, but has finally just realized it makes him a more valuable player when he goes out and shoots more threes and works more in the post and, and gets closer to the rim and cuts that mid-range uh, in-between game out, and it's made the Magic a better offensive team as a result. Still doesn't make them a great team, and, and if there's any team where they actually don't have a lot of depth um, this week, then it's the Magic, which is what makes this such a winnable matchup to me. But absolutely, they're still mm-hmm. a better team than the Suns so far, as almost everyone in the league is, uh, and they still have to be taken seriously, even though they don't have a, a bona fide star um, on their roster. Yeah, the Magic sort of got out of the gates last year really hot too. So uh, who knows if that's just sort of what they do and they'll sort of fade out. But uh, you were talking about the point differential. And I think part of that is just just to sort of illustrate the difference between the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. As of this morning, the Western Conference is, was... 61 and 37 against the East. So the Western Conference is really dominating matchups against the East. And a lot of point differential, things that can happen with point differential, if you play a lot of easy teams, uh, that can help, especially if you're, if, you're, if you're beating them by a lot. But then if you get blown out by teams from the other conference, then that can affect your point differential a lot. Now, I haven't looked into the Magic enough to know if that's the case. Um, but I, I have a feeling that's, a, that's probably part of it. It will be interesting. Vucevic, I'm glad you brought up Vucevic because technically he, I believe he actually starts at power forward, but I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of Vucevic against uh, DeAndre Ayton, which is sort of unfortunate because it would be nice to see some Mo Bamba, DeAndre Ayton. We saw it in Summer League. Ayton seems not intimidated at all by Mo Bamba, so uh, that would be kind of a nice thing I to see. I still think we will, yeah. You do, yeah. You're probably right because Rashawn Holmes comes in kind of early, and Aiton, so far, as far as rotations go, um, Aiton's been playing a little bit against bench uh, units, so I imagine we'll see that. The last game this week will be Sunday, so a week from today as of we're recording this, 
and that will be at Lakers. So back in LA <laughs> against the Lakers. So if this team is as unpredictable as previously, that will probably be the win. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, yeah, it would be nice. It would be nice. I want Tyson Chandler to to <laughs> allow thirty Devin Booker pick and rolls to to go right in, go right by and play no defense whatsoever. But in reality, Tyson Chandler is probably going to be pretty motivated for this game. One would think. Yeah, something about the Lakers when we were playing them previously, or we when we played them earlier in the season, they were struggling. They were not in a good place, and they took it out on the Suns. Well, here's the thing about the Lakers now. They're playing pretty well, actually. So they're they're currently seventh in the West. They're eleven and eight. So they have a winning record by three games. And LeBron is kind of putting it to teams. He's he's he seems a little more focused, a little more energized. Something about big men getting uh, showing up in his team. I remember when Mozgov was traded to the Cavs. All of a sudden, LeBron really picked up too. He just likes to have big guys on his team. I think big guys that are sort of chemistry guys. So. Uh, he's really picked up his play. So this is gonna, that's obviously going to be a really tough game, and that's in L.A. So that would be the most satisfying win of all of these wins. So that's the one I hope of all these games. That's the one I hope. Oh, something about the Magic we didn't talk about. Devin Booker's lowest scoring game. So his averages against uh, every team in the NBA have been floating around on the Internet for a while. Um, the lowest was 14 points against the Magic. So that's the most he's ever scored against the Magic. Do you think he's going to beat that <laughs> on Friday? That's <laughs> that's really interesting. I wonder, is that a result of... Because Booker's missed a decent amount of games yeah. uh, early on in his career. So is that like from one of the early seasons where he didn't log a lot of playing time? And then because the Suns only see the Magic twice a year, he like just happened to miss the other games? Or is he just really he's struggled? He's played them in... a few times. It's interesting. Yeah, I definitely think he's going to get more than 14 points. At least I would hope so if the Suns want any chance of winning. So it's a tough week, but not not like super super tough. I'd say the Pacers and the Magic are probably the most uh, the most possible for the wins. But you know, the, I, I don't think, based on how I feel about the Pacers, I think that one's going to be really rough. Clippers is going to be really rough as well. We talked about bench units. This will be a tough week for Igor. He's going to have to really focus uh, on rotations and try and figure out something that works in that bench unit, and that's might be an impossible task here. So. Uh, are we going to try and say one and three again? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> let's let's say one and three. Um, I'll say this. I could say the same exact thing I said last week, which is the head tells me one and three, but the heart tells me two and two. And I'll keep saying that every week until we finally go five hundred right. for a week. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Sam, you got anything else? Nope, that's all. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, next week we're gonna come back with a quarterly report, so it'll be about a fourth of the way through the season. So that'll be a fun one. See you next week. Yo, what's up, you guys? <clears throat> this is uh, Brandon here, Phoenix Suns fan. Uh, just wanted to give a quick rant on T.J. Warren and his ejection. Uh, I thought that that was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, T.J. Warren was called for an offensive foul on a take to Blake Griffin, which led to a technical, which led to a double technical. Um, T.J. Warren's one of the quietest people in the NBA. He barely talks in the media, barely talks on the court, and the one time he speaks out is the one time he gets ejected. Uh, Blake Griffin, you know, he's pretty awesome at times. But Blake Griffin uh, has a tendency to flop and do some acting on the court, and it, it was absolutely ridiculous why he got ejected. And I'm not saying that we would have won the game if T.J. Warren would have stayed in the game. But that was one of the worst calls in basketball history. I'm saying it now. One of the worst calls in NBA history. You know, if we were the Golden State Warriors, if we were LeBron James or some superstar like that, they would have went to New Jersey where the replay center is, and they would have reviewed the play or the foul or whatever. They probably would have investigated this more. Probably sounding a little bit crazy right now, but I was absolutely heated over this call. Um, I even made a whole video about it on my YouTube channel, and I was just so upset with this call. Um, but on a positive note, I did say this in my video, TJ Warren, his past eight games, is averaging 23 points per game, five rebounds, shooting around 48%, I think he's three. Just an all-around good score, and he's been a good scorer his whole career. So that's my rant. I appreciate you guys letting me call and vent. Uh, keep up with the great work on your end. You guys podcast is awesome i make sure to always share it and retweet you guys and thanks for the support thanks for letting me call the hotline sorry if i sounded crazy and we'll talk to you guys soon thanks again
Go Suns! You just wrapped up another episode of The Timeline. I love this podcast. And if you're like me, you want as much Suns content as possible. That's why I listen to The Timeline every week. So if you want to go ahead and hear some more Phoenix Suns content, go ahead and listen to The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. We are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, go ahead and check out The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.